Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess... Is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's talking about time about. for Mortgage Matters. All righty, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. It's already fall. Pretty exciting, huh? We were talking about that in Lermas. I can't believe it's already September 23rd. Costco already had like Christmas things out, like yeah. Christmas trees and stuff. Mm. Seems weird. wrong still. But Costco got a new, they opened a new store in Santa Marina. Did you see that? Yeah. They did. Oh, I did actually. Yeah, Better Arabia. Yeah, that was, that did not take long. And then I think they closed one at normal hours and opened the one the next morning at the yeah, they were Normal just ready hours. to, you know, shut down one and then move over the next day. That seems impressive. Yeah. Plus, yeah. must make a lot of money. Yeah. Well, Beal. what they do, and I'm sure they can, you know, the stock as it sells, they'll just move it from the one location to the other. Just driving all the forklifts down the street in the middle. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> but you kind of wonder what's going to happen. Have you heard what's going to happen with their old location, though? No, I wonder. Yeah, because that's the problem with that. It's like you get this big empty space now yeah maybe so. they'll make it into something useful mm-hmm. like a trampoline park for kids or something there it is <laughs> yeah. maybe in part that's a big building you know what was originally in there right in the costco building with that whole complex no cbs records they used to they used to actually press records there really mm-hmm. yeah in fact i've heard uh, one of the one of the records that was actually produced there was um they they actually pressed a thriller, Michael Jackson. No way. Mm-hmm. A little bit of trivia there. I guess. That's why it's called, called Columbia Square. The whole complex is called Columbia Square. Huh. Yeah. Wow. See, a little trivia about Santa Maria. Maybe you didn't know. You said CBS Records? CBS Records. Is that what the Columbia? Mm-hmm. Columbia Broadcasting System is what CBS is. Huh. Mm-hmm. I saw I don't know that much about that stuff. Well, I'm in the industry. You can you could be misleading <laughs> me right now, and I'm I'm, I'm following yeah. you no, as I'm if serious. it's gospel. It, it used to be a, a production plant for CBS Records. That's cool. I had Kinda no idea. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, vinyl's making a comeback now, so maybe they'll start pressing maybe records there again. Maybe CBS still owns the building. Who What's knows? old is new. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Dan, how was your week? It's good. Good. good week. My, yeah. I had a birthday in the family. Yeah. My l- daughter turned three years old yesterday. Uh-oh, we might have to play happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> she, uh, yeah, she's pretty cute. When people sing her happy birthday, she gets kind of shy. Yeah, that is cute. Well, this week we had some things go on. Yeah, there's a Fed meeting this week. The Fed meeting with the stock market just pressing all-time highs again. Yesterday, it actually closed down nine points on the session, but even still, the Dow yesterday, just below 22,350. 
22349. That's that's crazy. Remember when we were everyone was just waiting and watching for it to make that move. Was it 20,000 or 21,000? 20,000 was that the big That was the big deal. Yeah. Crossing Shh. that big threshold. Now that's long gone. I guess. Well in the rear view. The 10-year bond yield Ah, yes. Remember last week we were talking about this bond yield a little bit? Yeah. Thinking that there was probably some downward pressure on it once we, once the dust settled a little bit? Um, nope. 2.26 is where it finished up yesterday. So two weeks ago we were testing the 2% level. 2.05. I think it touched... 2% like in the uh, in a session and then finished out at 2.05 or something like that. But um, to see a, a full 20, 20 basis point increase in the 10-year bond yield this week. Um, Where did it close at? 2.26. Okay, so that's good. The, the big threshold to watch that I've been hearing about is 2.3. If it crosses over 2.3, then look for rates to move even higher. As long as it stays under 2.3, there's most experts believe that we'll start to work our way back down closer to two again. There's some people who even keep talking about the, that bond yield dipping below 2%. Sometimes it's hard for me to understand what those ranges are and what they mean and why. And it's, I think it, for me, I've kind of satisfied myself that it's got some kind of uh, the market sentiment like where people think once it hits into a specific range it's either got legs up or or it's going to work back through that range so it hits these little barrier thresholds well you've seen them i mean it's not great radio but you've seen them on tv where they have the the flat line and the sloped line and you kind of see where they're going to intersect and that's that's basically how they determine where those ranges are yeah and so yeah 2.3 is kind of the critical number to watch right it now. reminds me of like geometry or whatever where you you're onto the next piece of graph paper and so just <laughs> you know what we're over here now since we're on this page it's 2.3 and above on this page if we get back onto that other page we can go down again <laughs> oh so, yeah, yeah so anyway that that pushed um it's been pushing rates around a little bit i on one of the Rate watch apps we use to track mortgage interest rates through daily sessions. Um, it shows one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten sessions up on the screen right now. Mm-hmm. And of the ten, only two of them were green. In this case, green is good. Like green is indicating like stable or improving interest rates. So really, eight of the last ten sessions have been. Um, and none of these are catastrophically bad, but just eight of the last 10 sessions have been nudging mortgage interest rates up ever so slightly. Kind of, kind of makes me think that maybe that, that little dip we had a couple weeks ago, um, may have just been a pretty fluky thing. Uh, I don't, I know. don't know. I think this run up here was really just the potential of a fed rate hike. And we did. You know, we'll talk about it more, but there was some news that would lead you would, would lead to some upward pressure on rates as well. But I still think the the belief here uh, um, is that we're going to see rates move back down to where they were just a couple weeks ago. 
So I mean, I I'll, I'll be cautiously optimistic towards that. I mean, yeah. obviously, low rates are good for our industry. They're good for our industry. They're good for people who own homes. I mean, they're good people who've been buying homes the late last year and and through the first half of this year. There's an opportunity to drop a couple hundred bucks off your payment. You know, they they bought at four and a half or four and a quarter. You know, some four and three quarters, kind of depending on when they bought. Um, we saw that 30 year fix get down below 4%. Yeah. So there's, I mean, depending on what kind of loan balance you have, there's opportunity to save two, three, four hundred dollars Well, especially, especially if you put in, um, less than 20% down payment. One of the things that many people don't realize is that you have mortgage insurance works in, in five percentage point buckets. So Five to ten percent down is one coverage ratio, and ten to fifteen percent down is another, and then fifteen to twenty is kind of the cheapest. So, if you can save a little bit in interest, and you can eliminate or reduce the mortgage insurance rate you're paying, and then you really got to consider that mortgage insurance is effectively the uh, an add-on to your interest rate, right? Yeah, I mean it's a factor of the loan amount, so. Just like interest, if the, and by the way, I'd suggest on conventional Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans, you're talking mortgage insurance is usually going to be somewhere between 0.4% and, you know, 0.8%, I would suggest is probably the the largest normal part. So that, that really means that while it's only going to last for two or five or 10 years, depending on how much equity you um, develop and, and, and pay down, you really got to consider that's just added right to your interest rate. So if you have a 4% interest rate and you're paying three quarter percent EMI, you're effectively a 4.75. So if there's an opportunity to maybe refinance your interest rate into a 3.875, kind of a nominal pickup there, but you're able to drop your mortgage insurance down into a 0.31 factor, you could really, you know, kind of redo your overall interest rate on that to like a, a four and a quarter, which now you're talking about saving a half a point. That's where I can make a difference of a couple hundred bucks a month on a $400,000 loan. You're talking and that adds up, that adds up quick. I mean, if you could give yourself a $200 a month raise at work, you'd do it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> That's a pretty, I mean, that, well, that and, might hey, just keep up with your health insurance I'll, hike or that extra gas, <laughs> the money you're spending at the pump. I'll take it one step further. This is a, uh, this is post-tax dollar savings. Right. <laughs> it's that's, actually like $300. That's like 300 bucks, depending on your tax bracket. Yeah. yeah. Now you are now you can start drinking that Starbucks every day again. <laughs> yeah, many people, when they buy their house, that's one of the funny things I always hear in my office. People say, okay, well, as we kind of redo the budget, one of the things that we can see go is that Starbucks. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you do the math. There's two of you in the house, and you're drinking... Eight to ten dollars a day worth of Starbucks, five days a week. Yeah. yeah, a couple hundred bucks a month. You're right. You're gonna have to start brewing coffee at home, Jason. And that's only if you get the tall, <laughs> <laughs> the grande or the vente. Boy, you're looking at twelve bucks. My know, a day. It's my yeah, household. It's my <laughs> household and I decided to um, be done with Starbucks, like as a brand. <laughs> so we're still heavy coffee consumers, but. Yeah. Um, it's really funny, uh, when you just 
try not to buy coffee out at all mm -hmm. and brew coffee. Yeah. Once you start totally avoiding those coffee <laughs> shops, I it was telling to me that we spent money in the coffee shops, mm -hmm. especially with the kids too. Yeah. You say no most of the time, but sometimes like, can I get a chocolate milk? Uh, like, I've said no 32 times in a row now, so okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. And now all of a sudden you're spending 30 bucks at the coffee shop. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that, that coffee adds up quick. Mm -hmm. it does. Ah, but it's so delicious. It is great, yeah. And so convenient. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's usually in my yeah. kitchen. Yeah, that's yeah. what we do now. There's something yeah. called a coffee pot, coffee yeah. maker. That's buy a big old bag of whatever's on yeah. sale from Costco. and It's just as good, too, I think, personally, but, you know. Yeah. It depends. I don't know. It's kind of like... Even? Even here at the building, at the station, we have one of those Keurigs out there. Fantastic. Yeah. There it is. You can get all kinds of, you can get tea, you can get mm -hmm. hot chocolate, mm -hmm. you can get anything in those Keurigs. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Plug now that we, Keurig. we, now that we promote Keurig and yeah. not Starbucks. Hey, I mean. hey, Keurig, send me a thousand bucks. <laughs> the only problem is those little pods. Yeah. A lot of waste. Mm. Yeah, there are some pods. Plastic into the landfill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They do make a little like basket looking thing though That's that true. you can put your grounds in the little basket. I just figured out what that thing was. Yeah. Yeah. Someone, my uncle told me that that's what that was for. And I'm like, ah, mind blown right there. That. Well, yeah, Mel and I had a Keurig for a little while. Mm -hmm. And one of the problems with a Keurig is like, it's too easy to calculate the price per cup. <laughs> You're like, oh man. Little things like nine bucks for ten cups and the thing, so you're like it's basically a buck a piece. Yeah, yeah. But on the bag of coffee, you know, you you can do the scoops of grounds to your liking. It's a little harder to quantify. We do the you know the Keurig at work, and they're less. They're like I'd say seventy cents a. Pop. Yeah, but you're buying them in like a a huge box, right? Like a twenty two. A lot. That's how the other half lives right there. <laughs> well, one of the things about the Keurig, too, is um, you don't have to worry about, oh, did somebody forget to shut off the coffee maker at the office? Yeah. <laughs> we, in yeah, my because office. I walked in here one day, and it smelled like we were about ready to catch fire. Oh, oh really? No. So that's why we got Ours the Keurig. Ours just has an auto shut off no. for, like, two hours or no, something. It didn't, didn't. Our Keurig's the old one where you have to, like... Mm -hmm push a thing to tell it you're wanting coffee and then it goes through a warm-up cycle and then a little blue yeah. light comes on and then you can put your thing in there and hit go there it is so you don't ever have that overheating mm -hmm. problem but it's not quite as on demand you know now all of a sudden you gotta wait like 60 seconds oh my gosh kidding me really gives you an opportunity to check your instagram or something <laughs> you could sign another loan in that 60 seconds oh yeah this one's done yeah there you go if only <laughs> loans take way longer. I like how you're doing that. that old, you know, hand sign motion there. <laughs> yeah, now, now it's like, click, it's yeah, phone sign. Because that works so well for radio, too. You know, there it is, right? Yeah, the visual there on radio. Yeah, we do use DocuSign quite a bit now in the office. And did you hear, too, that. Um, Starting to do e closings? E closings are happening. I was reading an article about a notary back east that was able to do. Um, they still use a notary, but they did an e-notary and signed without actually putting pen to paper. How do you do an e-notary? How does an e-notary validate that you're the person you say you are signing? 
This article that I was reading had a, a husband and wife and the notary, I think they didn't get very specific about it, but I believe it was by way of Skype. Huh. Um, but the husband was abroad on a business trip and was able to sit down and verify identity. You know, so that's interesting. We were, we talked about this last week as the show was running out of time about this whole Equifax thing. Yeah. Um, when so I found my name on that Equifax, like you know, we sold your identity to somebody else list, and so I went through and did the like, okay, sign me up for the the first round of defense, and um, and and some of this happened after since the last show. So kind of, here's kind of an update for you. They in so first step is that you sign up for the first service, which searches known databases of um, private information for sale <laughs> to find out if you're in there. So I signed up for that. It came back and said, we don't believe that you, you know, we didn't find your name out there anywhere. Cause I think what happens if they find you like, Oh, we found a Dan Podesto with a social security number for sale. And so then you really need to take some extra steps to like lock down your, your info is like, you know, top of the list somewhere for a hacker. Right. Um, but yeah, so anyways, my name wasn't on that list. So it was like, you're kind of good, whatever. So then, um, I, I had to do a data ver or an identity verify thing. Those things are getting pretty good. Have you seen that? No. So it's like, I don't know. I, th I want to say it was six or seven questions maybe, but they were questions that were, uh, I almost was afraid I was going to fail. It was like, <laughs> do you, <laughs> how well do I know myself? Well, it was like, um, which of these numbers are associated with you? And there's like only showing you the last four digits of the number. And so I look at the thing and I'm like, those, none of those are anything familiar to me. They weren't my cell. I used to have my wife's cell number like 15 years ago. And then I gave it to her and I got a new one. So it wasn't hers and it wasn't the work line. And then there was an option for like none of these. So I was like, well, I guess it's none of these. And then the next one said, um, you know, something about, the mortgage that I did recognize really was on my credit report. Um, and so I was like, yeah, that, that is the name of a previous mortgage servicer I had. So I clicked, yeah, on that one. And then the next one asked me, um, about some residence history or something. And, and again, I didn't recognize anything. And so then I clicked no. Um, so anyhow, it was all these questions that kind of had me like some of them were kind of familiar quickly and others. I was like, I think that's right. You know, it was like, when was the last car loan you had? And I was going, man, and, and who was the bank and stuff? And I'm going, I don't even know. So again, I clicked, I don't know, right? So I got down to the end of it, and they're like, congratulations, you know, you verified your identity. I'm like, Phew. I thought I was going to fail that thing. But um, maybe that's how these notaries can do it now, is they can use that database kind of background check to ask you a series of questions of who you really are. Hmm. And then also I would think that, um, swiping or showing your ID and or passport with like a, a Skype type of service where they could, you know, do your face. And I mean, it's no secret now that, um, technology has got this new facial scanning technology. I was so gonna, that's, what's in the back of my mind is that, you know, with the new iPhone, they're going to have the face scanning technology, but then there's this worry that what happens if that gets hacked, can someone go out there and steal your face image and, and then right. use it for other devious purposes? Well, I remember hearing years ago that 
the next step was going to be like um, scanning of your eyes. Hmm. Because I think from what I heard, and this could just all be nonsense, but I heard that your eyes is like a, it's like a fingerprint. So I've seen some movies with that and like, then people start losing their eyes, oh, you know, eyes become awful. like gold. So take your eyes and put yeah. them in a, a zip lock and <laughs> yeah, use right. that to get into the bank vault. <laughs> totally. That sounds awfully extreme for a mortgage. <laughs> we really want to get this home loan. <laughs> Go get me Dan's eyes. <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> Sounds awful. I bet it feels even worse. Yeah, it's like, yeah. She Dan, I don't know. Do you want to have your eye dug out of your head? Like, probably not. Yeah, probably not. No, don't think so. Yeah. Anyhow, um, Placer Title. They're they've been moving in locally, huh? There's one of those in most of the cities around here now. Yeah. And um, I'm finally able to say the name now. I still have to think about it a little bit. For whatever reason, I think it's because I'm a SoCal guy and I just have never been to Placerville or I don't really know Placerville, but I want to call it. I'm just impressed you're saying Placer, not Placer anymore. Placer. Yeah. That's what it looks like. <laughs> and you know that's how they name cities. Place. What do you want to call it? No, no, it's a place called Placerville. <laughs> Anyhow. They just recently switched over to do electronic opening packages now. So you know all that escrow paperwork you'd get that is confusing, and then, um, I don't know, half of it feels like it's written in another language. Now you can do that electronically, which I was talking to an escrow agent, and she was kind of happy that, uh, you know what the, the greatest thing about it is? It's not helping people complete it in a more timely fashion. But people are not forgetting that like checkbox on page seven of yeah. this form that's like halfway down the page and buried in the body, you know, because the DocuSign software is taking you to every field that you need to execute. So once you sit down to do it, you have a higher ac accuracy of getting it done correctly. But that's kind of exciting. Now you can do, you know, you upload your documents basically into the cloud, you do your application online. You do your disclosures by way of DocuSign. And then um, pretty soon here, you're going to be able to do an e-closing package and like close your loan without, yeah. Just getting ready to be able to sit in that like pod thing where you don't even have to do anything anymore. <laughs> do you know that movie? Yeah. What was one of the kid movies? Did you see that, Jim? One uh, the, oh, probably. It's, like it's the, not coming to mind. It's like in the future, and um, mm -hmm. Earth is like it, it's uninhabitable because it just looks like a wasteland. Mm -hmm. And then all the people from Earth are like in these like spaceships that are. It's like mm -hmm. Bruce Willis or something. It's animated. Uh, the I'm one thinking, I'm talking a about. Real, there's oh. like an actual. Oh, I forgot what it was called though. I know one. So, I I remember like one of the ones, but no, mm -hmm. this one's like an it's like Wally or something. Hmm. Oh, maybe. Yeah. And then all the e. all the people are like these like fat people mm -hmm. that are in these pods and they just have like virtual reality glasses on and they're just floating around in these pods just it's like why are you even alive? <laughs> For the brain. That's how it'll be when we're all uh Crazy. doing everything just everything digital. Mm -hmm. Just sit in your virtual reality chair and <laughs> virtually live. <laughs> 
right. Let's hey. do a commercial break. <laughs> wild before, we, <laughs> before we get any weirder. Yeah, boy. This is getting way off today. I'm really tired today. Hmm. Thursday night, I went to that Pepper um, show at Vina Robles. Okay. I got like a last-minute invite. I was like number nine on a list. Have you ever been number nine on a list? This guy <laughs> called nine. everybody and then finally was like, hey, do you want this like ticket? You could take your wife or something? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, unless you want to go with me. And I'm like, oh. I'll take my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it, but I was like, my wife would have no interest in seeing Pepper. She'd be like, she'd say yes just to get out of the house and get away from the kids and stuff. And then we'd get there and then she'd be like, this is awful. <laughs> so then we'd leave. Yeah. But yeah, so anyways, I went to Pepper and it was, um, it was so cold. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It was windy and cold. And I, mm. I just like, I thought it was a North County evening. So I wore shorts and flip flops yeah, no. and a long sleeve t shirt. It's t-shirt. a North County fall evening. Fall evening. It's not <laughs> cold. It's not the summer anymore. No. Yeah, but don't be fooled. This upcoming weekend, it's supposed yeah. to get back into like the 90s again. You're going to have, you're going to be able to wear a t shirt probably, you know, the one late last into the evening. hurrah before the summer, the freezing temps come. And it's usually yeah. me too, because I'm like, I'm not the guy that's checking the weather and stuff. I'm like, ah, we're just. We'd be yeah. good with a t-shirt. My <laughs> teeth were chattering. It was so <laughs> cold up there. But yeah, so anyway, I had like days in a row of like being up late and only getting like four or five hours of sleep. So mm. today's episode nice. might be weird. That's all I'm saying. I think we're starting off on a good foot on that. <laughs> do we want to hit the break space bar? We should do it. Let's do it. Let's do a commercial break, guys. We'll be back in a couple minutes here with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. Too often, potential home buyers disqualify themselves believing they need perfect credit. The fact is we can finance home buyers with low credit scores, collections, bankruptcy, foreclosure, or short sale. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-396-08. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328-358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason.
just add an extra happy birthday when it's yeah. for no name. Yeah, there you for go. Mara. Your daughter? Yeah. yeah. Three years old. Wow. Yeah. Birthday is yesterday. She's oh. a solstice baby. A little funky here, but anyway. That's... Yeah. Got, <laughs> got some more birthday stuff today to do. Awesome. It's hard because my son has soccer practice on Friday and a game today, so there's still events revolving around him, but we're trying to make the day and her, weekend her, more yeah. about her, so... Yeah. It's tough. And he's older, so he likes things to be about him. Of yeah. course. You know. Well, and younger siblings get drugged through their older siblings' life for years. Yeah. Before they in that then you have like you almost have to go out of your way to help them have their own things to do and, and destinations that are for them, you know? Right. Well, as you well know with two kids now, that second kid's just in a car seat, waking up at a new location <laughs> through the first yeah. like year of their life, just like, oh, now we're here doing yeah. this. They're just going everywhere. It's very different than yeah. Yeah. the first kid. It's like everything's about them and they're... That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, it's all about yeah. me until, well, the second kid comes along and it's like... See, I was a second kid. <laughs> and then yeah. that, you know, shortly thereafter, my little brother's five years younger than me. So I went from being the second kid to being the middle kid, so... I think I'm acutely aware of like the the birth order <laughs> ramifications, and by the way, they're not all bad. Like when you go read books about birth order, they uh, some of those negative things are addressed, but there's good things to being mm-hmm. a middle child too. It makes you you have a better, a bigger, brighter personality. I think <laughs> you're like hey, everybody notice me. I'm a person too. I think wow. there's more pressure on the first kid to be the example for the others. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, I was the first child. Well, and the first kid, still. the first kid in my experience, just because you're older, you're like, and and think about this in terms of like you're talking like for me, my brother is 12 months older than me, and at one Jeez. point in your life, yeah, right, that's pretty close. <laughs> you had a busy but, couple of years, your parents. But look, <laughs> all the way until basically the end of puberty. That is a huge difference. Being a year older, like from five to six, you know, it's like almost 20% more life experience. They're right. like, and their strength and they're faster and, you know, they're more articulate. They've all of the things. And so you're just constantly not measuring like, up. Yeah. I'm like a, just, over, just over here, just a little <laughs> bit younger, but n- not like the first pancake, you know? You know? <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, yeah, it's really good to try. I think with the younger kids is like you got to try. You got to really make an effort to make some things about them. Yeah, no contest. Well, you're not the stop. You can get your own Levi's. These are first first <laughs> use, first use. <laughs> some baseball. For your cleats. daughter's got to be happy. Sorry, I can't use the handy down hand me downs because I'm oh, a yeah. girl. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I get my own clothes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, now that we know for sure we're not having any more kids, too, I always, like, like just recently took one of the girls that works for us, like, you need some clothes? And we had, like, in there, it's, like, pairs and pairs of cleats and, like, nice cleats. Like, you're lucky if you can get one season of baseball out of your kids' feet, you know, before (laughs) they're too big for those cleats. So, yeah, all those 
things. I remember when I was a kid, it was always a hand-me-down. It was like, yeah, no, I know it's basically new. That's great. Was, I've been looking at it in the closet. <laughs> we share a room. I've been yeah, looking at those for a year. It was nice when they were new. He was really excited about them. Now I'll just use them and save you that money. See where he started to scratch his initials in it, too. Right. So it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then all the while, as soon as they get handed off to you, that that's because he got new ones. Like, oh, look, that's cool. You got the new ones. And I just saw I'll wear yours. This is cool. <laughs> I'm not bitter. Not at all. No, I can tell. <laughs> no, but you know, I I think later in life though, I I just ended up being. I I feel like, and I, I never want to say anything disparaging about my older brother, but I feel like I'm more resourceful and a little bit more like. I got to create things for myself because it wasn't always just like, oh, it's what you do for a kid. You know, I was like, oh. I'm, make some things happen so anyhow that's fun <laughs> yep uh i wanted to talk about the uh the fed meeting stuff a little bit that was that was big news this week and there was a lot of time spent anticipating that um you know kind of looking at not only the interest rate thing so that there was really three things to focus on for this fed meeting we wanted to know if they were going to raise interest rates at that meeting or not Additionally, we wanted them to make some comment about whether or not they might at the December meeting, which would give us some indication of what to expect for the next couple months here in the market. And then lastly, um, we were looking for them to make some remark about how they'd begin the normalization of that balance sheet they have, this this tremendous holding of mortgage-backed securities and treasuries. So, um, And they they got all three of them, right? Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> All right. So that was a handing of the baton, and then you just stare at me. <laughs> I was waiting for you to continue. Um, yeah. So, I mean, first, there was no change to the Fed funds rate, which I think was generally ex ex expected. Not a surprise. Yeah. You know, at the beginning of the year, there was thoughts that we might have as many as four rate hikes, one per quarter. But as the year has gone on, Growth hasn't been as robust as hoped. You know, we've only always, had one, right? We've had two. Well, counting the December one as a rate hike for this well, year. There was a June also. Yeah, we did March and June. I'm looking it up. Feel so far away now. We did March. We did December, March, and June. Um, September. Now we've we know that they have passed that one, so there's no September rate hike. But I think that there's about a fifty-fifty expectation. For a December rate hike, or 50-50 chance, I should say. Um, so that one's still kind of up in the air. But um, we've seen December rate hikes two, I think, two years in a row. Um, so I, I believe that that we will see a December rate hike as well, another quarter point. But September they held off. Um, the I think the big news from this meeting was more about that balance sheet. It's been talked about the last few months that they're they're starting to talk about the unwinding of the balance sheet. And just to put it in context for you, they're holding um, four and a half trillion um, dollars worth of mortgage back. Or actually, it's uh, four and a half trillion total. Yeah. Yeah. And is that all mortgage backed securities? I guess it's made up of both mortgage backed securities and treasuries. So it's not just mortgages. Correct. Um, but they're going to begin unwinding it. And they talked about the pace. It's going to take several years to unwind. They're going to begin gradually. 
um, at a $6 billion cap for treasuries and $4 billion cap for mortgage-backed securities. So that's not a huge amount. I don't see on the mortgage-backed security side $4 billion being a significant portion um, of the volume. No, and what's been going on for the last couple years here is that we're seeing basically when those parts of those securities have been being paid off this and this is normal in a normal market um you have loans that are being paid you know that rich uncle dies and leaves you a million bucks and you just pay off your two hundred thousand dollar loan here's your deed congrats so those that happens um you also just have people that um, they pay things and then somebody they'll sell another house somehow or other they pay off their mortgage well in advance of when they anticipated um, that happens but then also when people refi if you come to us and you refinance and your home is in one of those securities and we take you out with a new loan it's not going to go right back into that security necessarily so that would be part of the runoff of that or um and then what's the last one? Selling. If you just sell your house, now your loan pays off unless it was an assumable loan. And and I'd very few of those very few there. of those out there. So so it's natural that these securities experience a little bit of attrition every day anyway. And so what they've been doing with that, they've been taking um one to two billion dollars a week has been about the average, and they've been just reinvesting it. So that total those up and then buy another 4 billion bucks to throw back in there just to keep it at, you know, kind of keeping the glass full, right? Well, now we know that the big part of the plan here is that when those, those securities pay off, they're just not going to reinvest it. And, um, but they might, if they're going to exceed the cap. So if 15 billion pays off in a week, they're not going to let the security fall by fifteen billion overnight that that week. What they're going to end They'll up doing is capping it at the four and then reinvesting the rest. And so, um, I, we were having a conversation yesterday in the office about this. Um, is that? Do you find that to be market moving at all? I I don't I I don't think that. It's basically benign, right? It's a it's a relatively small um, amount of the monthly mortgage volume that's out there anyway. I mean, there's companies like, I mean, all the big ones like Wells Fargo. They probably originate like ten billion dollars of mortgages a month themselves, or something. I, yeah. I'm spitballing a number here. Who but, knows? I mean, it's a large number. Four billion dollars does not make a very large piece of the pie. So Agreed. I don't think it's market moving. But what I'm talking about is it's market moving in the sense that it's a shift in Fed policy, but it's not market moving sure. in the sense that there's the significant decrease in demand of mortgage-backed securities when they go to auction. It says a little bit about the sentiment, right? Yes. You went through the season of the credit markets are frozen. There's not any great demand for buyer, which is pushing rates even further. And and the divide was people needed those lower rates to get out of the problem that they were in. And nobody wanted to, to no one was attracted to it enough to buy it at low rates. So the Fed become an artificial influence in the market, start buying this stuff to thaw it, and it worked, right? Mm-hmm. So then they stopped buying it, and then it's been years really since they were just out buying it. I mean, QE3 I yeah. think ended in 2013 or yeah, 14. I say it's, it's been, been a been while, five, four years, something like that. Um, and everybody had this question of, well, what are you going to do with those as they pay off? Well, 
if I'm a, a member of the Fed um, managing this thing, here's my two cents. One of the greatest benefits of reinvesting in it is you're constantly in a state of bringing the security up to date. What's paying off is those older ones, those three and a quarter 30 year fix to three and a half 30 year fix. And you're slowly replacing those with 4% 30 year fix. So you're kind of slowly bringing it up to speed a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of nice. It's like breathing life into something that otherwise would have been stagnant and outdated from four years ago. But you're also keeping that, um, you know, if, if those securities were built five years ago, at best, there's 25 years remaining if everyone stayed the course for their whole long loan. Um, and you, it would become a weird security of a quarter or half of its size at year 15 of just kind of weird old stuff that have been on the books forever and it's all at three and a quarter. As you've been reinvesting it, you're keeping it a, a big, valuable, kind of staying up to the current rates to some degree. Obviously, it's going to trail behind, but yeah. that's a good value of doing that. <laughs> At some point, you have to decide um, not to reinvest. So it definitely gives us a, a good idea into what the feds are thinking now, which is essentially it's time to to start letting this be absorbed just back into the market as a whole, which to me means they're confident that there's enough investors out there that like the the risk, they have an appetite for what's being originated today, and they also don't think that it's going to cause interest rates on the mortgage-backed securities to go through the roof. And with mortgage volume being down industry-wide, I think that their lack of participation to the tune of $4 billion per month is really going to have a negligible change in the amount of securities Sure. You know, being purchased or whatever. They also took it a step further that they're going to step up those caps on a quarterly basis until they reach, um, you know, thirty billion per month for the treasuries and twenty billion per month for the mortgage-backed securities. So they've really given us the complete blueprint of what they're going to do, which is good because markets always love certainty and they they like to know the plan. So I think that was a a good move by them to really not just announce some shift in policy, but announce the shift plus the entire plan. Yeah, it's nice it's to just telegraph up. the whole thing yeah. to every investor out there to say, hey, look, there's some real transparency here. It's our goal is to, to ratchet this thing up. Um, and this really, I think for most people, this this begins the concluding paragraph of what was your education and quantitative easing, sure. especially where the feds are buying mortgage-backed securities now. I mean, the Fed's always monkeyed around in Treasury and that kind of thing. I think it, and I don't know this for sure, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this buying of mortgage-backed securities is um, a newish thing, especially to be buying in this degree. It's probably the first time ever. And so it, it also is also a nice reassuring thing if they get in, change the market with this policy roll out these programs, manage it profitably, have it kind of tread water for a while while we're to the rest of the economy just kind of getting all the way back on track, begin letting it be reabsorbed back into the normal economy. Um, what a what an awesome tale of being able to successfully uh, intervene in a market that was having some crisis level problems, get in and out of it well. Um, I actually, that's, that's the final hope here. Uh, I'd love to see that over the next year, 
we see the Fed successfully unwind this to a point where it's over and the market is back to totally normal. And now you know, hey, if you ever have a problem, if the if you ever, you know, if the economy ever experienced a major housing crisis like that again, you have a pretty good case law of of, of how you can hop in and do something. And, you know, I bet you it caused a lot of people a lot of angst. Um, and if you were one of the voting members, a, a lot of consternation too about, okay, well, I see you. You want a, a trillion, two trillion, three trillion, four and a half trillion. What's your plan for getting out of this? And how do you get out of it without shocking the system? So here's my question. Yeah. These these mortgages pay off for whatever, you know, one of the various reasons you, you mentioned. What actually happens to the money? Does it get <laughs> does it get put back? I mean, does it actually now, reduce Dan, the national debt? You, does it reduce the amount of money out in the marketplace? To, just, just stop. Because they don't want... Just stop. <laughs> You're going to go outside to cut brake lines in a minute. <laughs> no, we've already, had, we've already had some of those questions be asked in terms of the TARP funds. So we loaned out TARP, a couple hundred billion dollars, and we got TARP back a couple hundred plus billion dollars. I think all in all... TARP recovered all of its principal and then about a $40 billion, you know, like a, a good ROI on on having made that investment. And that was one of the big questions. Where is this money going? Yeah. I mean, we're still talking about increasing debt ceiling and stuff like that. Didn't all that money come back and help reduce the debt? Sorry, buddy. I mean, isn't this $4.5 trillion going to come back and reduce our national debt? I mean, what are we at? $20 trillion or something crazy? Well, it... Well, I'll challenge your thinking this way, though. Right now, the Treasury, you know, we have $4.5 trillion worth of interest income into the Treasury because of the mortgage-backed security. So as that pays off over time, basically going to be reducing interest income. Okay. So you're actually you're actually causing some um, loss of income on the spreadsheets there. But... To answer your question more specifically, where does that principle end up? I mean, are, are we all getting a refund as the $4 trillion is going to get broken up amongst the 350 million taxpayers in the country? Um, no, that money's just going to get uh, sl slipped and slided back into the other places where it needs to go. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I think that I, I think that with the TARP thing, and by the way, it's it's difficult to get accurate answers about this when i was researching where some of that tarp money goes basically just goes back into general fund stuff where it could be allotted towards whatever was the the greatest need i'm like that's a bummer yeah i'm i this is the part where i'm i'm wanting to understand that i i have a hard time believing that it will just go where it should into go. the savings account yeah because you know that uh, it's effectively what's the opposite of printing money burning money uh, <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah. and when we're struggling to achieve that desired rate Shredding of inflation it, yeah. you know they're not there there's not a, a strong likelihood that they're going to shred the money or whatever they do um you know putting more money out there is a inflationary um an inflationary move and when we're struggling to achieve inflation they're not going to do the opposite of that so yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I'm curious. 
I'll put a little time into that this week too, and see okay. if I can chase it down. I'm not kidding you though. Yeah, I'm trying on to the tarp stuff. Yeah. I was that was a genuine question, and I remember too is that. Um, and by the way, these are some of the things that that lawmakers struggle with when these things are being written into law in the first place. Is like, okay, I'm up, I'm with you all the way until the end of what happens to the money. Does it go back into the general fund? Does it go get applied towards, you know, HUD? Does the profit go into the housing industry somewhere? I mean, this is the same kind of thing like with yeah. the guarantee fees that they keep assessing over That's the funny. GSEs. You get these guarantee fees. Well, now they're getting tricky with the guarantee fees. They put, and by the way, a lot of you don't know what I'm talking about, but Congress has passed the assessment of these, they call them guarantee fees, and it's these little, essentially, taxes that happen on mortgage-backed security trades, and so it raises the interest rate to the consumer, but now they're starting to siphon that money off for things that are completely unrelated to housing. And they did this throughout the recovery from the last recession, and it's super frustrating. We're trying to get housing mended to the point where, and and really, I mean, I, given that I do this for a living, I'm always going to be a little bit um, blind to the rest of the world. But didn't housing basically kind of solve all of the the economic problems today? I mean, it's the thing. I mean, yes, the stock market's been going nuts too, but housing is, since it's recovered and now stable and appreciating and solid and the loan business is solid and that's beginning to lead way to everything that depends on housing to get back to normal. And so while that whole system was on life support, we had these weird bureaucratic taxes that were siphoning money out of that into things unrelated to housing. And I'm going, really? That seems nuts to me. And I feel the same way about, you know, these things with TARP and then like the question you pose over what happens to the the payoff of these things. Um, yeah, if you're not going to pay down the national debt and we have this housing affordability issue nationwide, let's put that money right back into making housing more affordable. Well, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> so they're going to they're going to get to the point where they've got um, and maybe, you know, I don't know. What is it? Ten it's going to be 10 billion, 20 billion, 30 billion. That's like a drop in the bucket, right. dude. Yeah. And so it's the kind of thing where they're just going to just move the money. You debit this column and add to that column. And the, the, the add into the next column is going to be for like redoing some roads in Memphis because they need them. Boo. It's like that. I don't know. It's, it's because it's a, it's too big. There's too much need. The too many zeros behind all the things. It's like, you know, it's just yeah. like, and it's so complicated. You have all these things, you know, where and you really need money to do one or the other. It's like that ban last week on the duck liver or whatever. They needed money to pass that duck liver bill, dude. Where are you going to get it? Well, I have a feeling we're going to be that, redoing some roads in Texas and Florida, uh, yeah. maybe Puerto Rico even. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what? I clipped some stuff about that, um, the yeah. hurricane stuff. Yeah. Just kind of mind-blowing, really. Um, you know, it, it has an impact on retail sales, and it has an impact mm -hmm. on GDP. And, you know, if you're, if you're a contractor anywhere down in the south or the Gulf area, you've got to just be thinking – pack your tools into the truck and head over there, right? That's where all the work's going to be for a while. Um, 
the houses that have been mm. flooded and damaged, the cars that have been flooded and are, you know, effectively worthless. I mean, there's, yeah. And the other thing I was thinking about too is, um, what do they do with all that trash? There's so much trash and it's everywhere. One of the guys that works for us, his sister got, um, she's on a, I think it's a conservation corps and she got moved from Montana. You know, there's like a million acres of fire in Montana. So anyway, they got they pulled all the crews off of there and sent them down into Houston to go um, help. And they're essentially just um, cutting up and attempting to remove, you know, like brush and trees and things from all the drainage and just trying to just begin basically cleaning. And it just it seems crazy. But, um, yeah, one of the things that really surprised me. So, you know, you know how many housing units that, that were anticipate were affected by the storm? Right now, it's estimated to be about 1.6 million. Jeez. So crazy. I thought, that's, that's a about lot. about the annual, not even the annual, um, sorry. I think that's Dan over there. Sorry. Got some spam, <laughs> sorry. Some spam ads popping up. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. But yeah, isn't that about how many homes we build in an entire year? It's more. Or yeah. what we should be building in an entire it's year? probably, <laughs> yeah, at a minimum what we should be building. But you know, of those 1.6 million, what I thought was like, man, are these insurance companies going to make it? Because you know, there's fewer and fewer, kind of like the banks. Um, only 15% of those 1.6 million homes were insured. Oh, my gosh. So you're going to have a lot of people that are going to be putting cash out of pocket but then, be, so this is, yeah, how does FEMA work with the, with all that, though? FEMA's independent of your, you know, your regular homeowner's insurance. Sure. Yeah, and there, there'll be FEMA money around. But FEMA, I mean, I want to say it has caps of, I forget now, it's fifteen or $30,000 per household or something. But if uh, you lost all of your stuff and you need to cut the drywall out of the bottom four feet of your entire house and I'll pull out all the insulation, redo all the, you burn through 30000 bucks pretty quick. You probably have 30000 bucks of electronics. So, anyhow, uh, we can talk a little bit more about that after the break, guys. We got a five minute break here for the top of the hour break, and then we have a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters. We hope you'll stick around. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue in you And I think to myself What a wonderful world I see skies of blue Clouds of white Bright blessed days Dark sacred nights to myself what a wonderful world. what a great song isn't it what made you think of that I don't know we're talking about things going on right now you know but yeah 
but I just I can't I, I have a hard time even fading this song out yeah it's truly really a legendary song oh for forever too that'll yeah. be a timeless song and mm. if people are still hearing things in 200 years they'll be hearing that song yeah it's pretty epic yeah. Lou Armstrong yeah cool you know, going into the break, we were talking about the 1.6 million homes lost. And I'm looking at some of the last week's data, housing starts and permits, to kind of put that housing loss into context. The yeah. housing starts reading last week was um, came in higher than expected at a just under 1.2 million annualized rate. Right. And then the the permits were at a one point three annualized am i reading that right maybe yeah. that was the expectation 1.3 annualized That's rate right. so whether you go by starts or permits either way it's the 1.6 million homes lost is l greater than the annual rate yeah. of current permits and starts right and this is why you know the the longtime listeners of the show probably get tired of hearing me say the exact same thing whenever we talk about this housing crisis that we have. But this is a great example of it when I tell you what the starts number is, right? And then we we try to put that into context a little bit about talking about what the U.S. needs to keep up with loss of housing. And this is a great example of that. And granted, an extreme example, right? This is like a five hundred year flood that we saw here. But these kind of things happen with fire, with hurricane, with tornado, with earthquake. Um, you know, in addition to that, there are homes that are just becoming functionally, <laughs> yeah, obsolescent. They're just too old to keep up and maintain anymore. And the other thing is that it doesn't actually take into consideration population growth at all. So when you see that, you know, these kind of events happen with all of those other forces that are at play. This is where we end up in the position we are today, where there's a there's a housing deficit, a major deficit, and it's what's causing and and I think and maybe not causing, but it's perpetuating this um, this housing crisis in terms of the the demand is just so great. The, the tipping point in that, by the way, generally leads to um, at what point can people no longer afford the homes, though? Because, agreed, we have a demand problem for however you want to size that up, calculate it, run out how long it's going to last or whatever. One of the problems is is that you that uh, that intersection of what can people afford versus what these things are worth and are we getting close to that? And, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that are sitting at home today in their rental home wishing that they were driving around looking at open houses. But the problem is, is it gets gets out of reach. And once it's out of reach, it's out of reach. It's well out of reach. Um, helping a family member right now buy a home and, um, man, just scratching, just scratching right at the entry-level home. Ended up settling up in a condo. Uh, but we're talking... 
entry level. I mean, the the rock bottom of what it gets in Atascadero, which is one of the more affordable parts of the county in terms of workforce housing. So we're but we're looking at that bar and we're doing the debt to income ratio calculations and we're going, man, you're you're there. Like you need a lucky listing is what you need and you need to win it out. And um, if the market goes up three or five percent this year, you're done. There's no you, there's no other way in. Um, you know, she happens to work a good, um, you know, government job, but the step increases for, um, her pay, those are known. They happen in, um, like hour increments and we can see where they go. It will not catch up with even 2% a year housing appreciation ever. So you're either waiting for another housing crisis or you need to start reevaluating, taking on a roommate, you know, getting grandpa to gift you a bunch of money to put down or just recognize that you're done, you're out, you, the market missed you. So that's a scary thing for a lot of people already in that boat. It's gone. So now what? Um, I saw on the news this week, somebody did a poll and said 50% plus of Californians were considering leaving just due to the the price of housing, just going, I would go, contemplating going, like I would go where, you know? You go to Arizona or Nevada, you're going to take off somewhere just to go in search of cheaper housing. That's a bummer when half of the residents of your state are tripping on the cost of housing, you know? Yeah. And you know what the problem is? Go over into those other states. <laughs> Guess what? Yeah. They make less money too. Yeah. So you're over here going, well, I know what it feels like to make 60 grand a year and that ain't nothing in California. I'd be a king in Nevada. Okay. But you don't get to make 60K a year when you go to Nevada. You're going to be making 30. Yeah, the house costs half. You're still on the hamster wheel. So, you know, that's a bummer. Yeah. So all these things, I mean, and these are the forces that are at play here. But um, you just went through... Um, national building uh, permit and housing start numbers. It's nice to be able to put those into context a little bit, but um, man, we're not, especially in California, we're not building a bunch of houses fast or affordable. Well, and now we know the next year, year and a quarter, year and a half's worth of housing is damaged. It's going to be going towards just making up the loss of houses from this one natural disaster. What if there's, I mean, we're just at the beginning of hurricane season. What if there's more housing loss? I mean, it, there's a hole to dig out of. So yeah, yeah it's a, it's a tough, um, it's a tough scary thing, thing to keep up and it, it doesn't help the housing shortage issue. It doesn't help the supply demand issue. Um, it doesn't help affordability. Retail sales numbers came out. Um, news were really at the tail end of last week, but um, quarter three GDP estimates were lowered a little bit based on um, weak retail sales. So retail sales for the month of August were anticipated to be plus 0.1%, which is a, it's plus, right? <laughs> That's basically how you want to look at it. It's, a, it's kind of the minimum plus, <laughs> almost flat, right? Um, and it came out at minus 0.2%. Next month, you're going to have a bunch of people that are going to be out replacing flood-damaged cars. So some of these things are going to experience a little shot in the arm as people got to get out and spend some money. 
by the way, if 15% of the home stock was insured, you got to imagine that, um, I don't know what, 10% of the car stock was? I don't know. I feel like people are more apt to have their uh, house insured before their car. And and yeah. what's that breaking point of... I remember um, during the housing, you know, the, the late 2000s or whatever, the, the aughts, whatever they were, yeah. the 08 era, um, that more people, that people were more likely to retain, make their the car. payments and retain their car than they were their home. Yeah, I remember that too. But here's a deal. If, if things are tough and you're opting to not have your house insured, first of all, you must not have a loan on it because I don't know how you even do that. Um, but... Once your car loan is paid off, most people most people will have comp and collision really because they're um they finance their car and so they have to, right? Once your car, Dixon and I were talking about this in the office yesterday, um, one of our inside staff, um, what's the price point of the car where you finally go, you know what? I'm not I'm not gonna keep paying comp and collision on my car. Five grand, six grand, seven grand. I mean, at some point, there's a number where you're like, if if the car gets destroyed by my fault or a flood because you weren't thinking ahead, um, then it's just tough luck, and I'm just I'm just gonna suck that up and take it because it's a the car's not it's not a twenty thousand dollar car. It's not not much of an investment to protect anymore. So. Uh, I imagine there's going to be a lot of people that are just out to go buy a new car because the old car got full of water and they didn't have any insurance. But in either case, even if there are insurance claims that are helping cover that, um, you're going to see a boost, I think, in some of the the retail sales numbers going forward next month. Um, And yeah, like I said before, if you're anywhere in that area you got to be just wanting to grab your nail bags and head head down there where totally. it's time to there's work there's yeah, lots definitely. of work and um i'm guessing that they'll even be pretty competitive wages too where you know if you're the guy on the block that wants all the the silt and trash and wet insulation everything out of your house so you get busy rebuilding um you you probably are going to offer more money than the guy next door you know and so i imagine it's probably even pretty good wages as people are trying to be the ones to to get the help and and get on the mend there so it'll definitely it's going to change things a little bit but all in all um, you know, these guys, have, the big economists have already suggested that the long-term impacts of the hurricane, I mean, it, it's going to like move the needle for a second, but it's not overall a, a real big long-term problem. And, um, I mean, I, I'm guessing there are some people out there that really disagree yeah. with that, yeah. you know? Well, uh, we had a listener call and didn't want to go on the air, but he, he, he was kind of disagreeing with your population growth figures. He said that the population he thinks you might be wrong on that, basically. And then also, he said I didn't that, make a population growth number. Okay. All I said was keeping up with population growth. Right. And if, if the premise is that the population is not growing, mm-hmm. um, I disagree with that. The population is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, that's basically. And as long as the population uh-huh. is growing from, you know, both child birth rates, but also from immigration, you have mm-hmm. to have increased housing supply to house those people. Yeah, and that was the That's other part point. is the, the, 
the pot, the housing rate in San Luis Obispo is more of an affordability issue, I believe, is kind of what he was getting at. Yeah, and affordability has a lot to do with supply and demand. Sure. I mean, that's definitely a major component of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can see it in the competitive nature of home sales today. It's not just in San Luis Obispo. It's everywhere that there's multiple offers, multiple people competing for the same house. There's just yeah. not enough out there to well, meet that demand. I do this with my kids, you know, as I got teenage kids right now. And so we're trying to to understand and, and think about things real deductively. And sometimes it just helps to take things to an extreme. So let's take it to extreme. And, and by the way, I'm going to bring this full circle here is that it is an extreme right now. But here's the other extreme. Let's say that overnight uh, your rich uncle died and left you a bazillion dollars. And the city of slow was like, Jim, you are the man. Um, here's the keys of the city, do what you do. And Jim walks in and, and drops 45,000 houses right here. Boom. Just sets them up and goes, Hey guys, these things are for sale. Come one, come all. Well, I don't know if we want another 45,000 houses. <laughs> well, but, but the point is though, the, I mean, yeah, but the point is, is that people then would, you know, if you soaked up existing people that were looking and now all of a sudden you still had 10,000 vacant homes, well, guess what's going to happen to the price of real estate? There's 10,000 vacant homes. If you want to be the one to sell, you're going to, the prices are going down. You have people competing over getting those things, you know, accepting the lowest dime. We've got the whole other extreme here in town. We've got like 45,000 people that Mm want to own a house here and we don't have any houses. So, What's happening every every day for the last seven years now is that those home values continue to go up and up, and it's a result of there being a greater demand than there is supply. Mm-hmm. So when we when we zoom out and try to look at the whole national level, that's the point. Is in the real big picture, you've got population growth. Houses being taken out of the existing housing stock or becoming obsolescent due to age, right? And then at the same time, you've got people, you know, there's more people and they need them and they're paying for them. Um, I was I was talking to Wes Burke earlier this week, and he just had sat through one of the CAR chief economists was talking about how California specifically now has... Um, the same amount of homes for sale that they had when the state's population was literally half. Hmm. So volume of sales wise, whether that's new homes or existing homes, there are twice as many people here and we're at the same volume of home sales that is going to push prices up. And guess, guess what? It's going to push them up until it falls into equilibrium where you don't have twice the people you have for the the volume of sales you're gonna have to have a volume of sales that's in line with the people so um for all of you people out there that think there's a real estate bubble or maybe even hope most of the people i know that that think there's a real estate bubble are kind of hoping there is right that's that guy that's like well i'm just sitting on some cash and the next time this thing pops i'm gonna go buy something then okay i I challenge you to tell me when that is now uh, because we know we have such a out of whack supply and demand, 
Um, and oh, I started to say though, Jim, in in our little fantasy about you being a bazillionaire and being the guy that solves our housing problem. Yeah. Okay. Guess what though? Mm-hmm. We got water problems. We got infrastructure problems. You know, traffic problems. All these kind of things. We got a scarcity now of buildable land. We've got onerous building codes and lengthy permit processes. The whole thing, it's it's it makes it it's a it's a difficult environment now just mm-hmm. to step on in and build. Like gone are the the wild west days where you just are like, There's my piece of dirt and I'm building myself a house and um, you know, nobody really seems to get too involved in that. There's a lot that goes into it today and it's making it more expensive and more difficult for us to add to the housing stock. So it's not a simple problem. There's not a simple fix. No. It's commercial break time. I actually I like have that. some of those existing home sales stats. I think they came out on Tuesday. So I'll uh I'll share with you more specifically what those are after this brief break, but Take some time out to thank the sponsors. We'll be back in a minute here with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 018-396-08. California DBO number 605-4783. NMLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending.
Rocking the Canadian tuxedo there, too. I love it. There it is, yeah. All Great those song. little pink houses. All those little pink houses, man. That's just John Mellencamp, though. What about John Cougar Mellencamp? Yeah, uh, real identity crisis during that time. It was John Cougar, John Mellencamp, John Cougar Mellencamp. Casey him? Yeah, I think he just went with John Mellencamp finally. That's hmm. good. Yeah. <laughs> so, continuing on with this conversation about housing, I want you to know that as we moved into the break, I, uh, as promised, I want to talk a little bit about existing home sales. This is a data metric that matters. This is one of the the ones that really tells us what's going on. And so, um, I just pulled up the old browser, Googled um, existing home sales, right? And then on Google tab, one of the interesting things is across the top, there's all the different categories you can choose from. So I just pick news, click the first link that pulls up. So it happens to be an article from Forbes. Uh, we're all familiar with Forbes, correct? Yeah. Yeah, we would be. Mm-hmm. So I'll read you the headline. I almost just want to read you the article because um, oftentimes on the show, we're paraphrasing mm. primary data. Um, and I, I wonder if much of it's lost in translation. I, I won't read you the whole article because I think that's boring radio, but I'll read you the headline here uh, verbatim says U S existing home sales fell in August as inventory shortage deepened. And now I'm going to head down just into the body of this thing. And I want to tell you, uh, here's a paragraph that I think is, is worth looking at. Uh, the median existing home price rose to $253,000 in August, which is up 5.6% from a year earlier. Moreover, total housing inventory declined to 1.88 million in August, 6.8, uh, sorry, 6.5% lower than a year ago. That's only a 4.5 month supply and more than half of the homes sold were sitting on the market for less than 30 days. So this is this is a fast uh, moving market. Rapido. Put your house on the market. It's going to sell high and fast. And that's happening nationally. So a healthy market is one that typically has greater than, you know, about six months worth of inventory. That's where you'd expect to see marketing times of, you know, 60 to 90 days and normal home price appreciation, which we'd. You know, it's been suggested that that's somewhere between 3 and 5%. Keeps up with the cost of living. You know, it makes the investment worth it. Um, inv- inventory, volume of inventory has declined on a year-over-year basis every single month for 27 consecutive months. <clears throat> Let that soak in for a minute. There's not been a single month in more than two years where we're finding an increase of inventory. So it just keeps telling you that more people are just staying put. They're happy with their home. 
for whatever reason, they've got a low interest rate. They've got a good tax base. They like their school, their neighborhood. Um, and you know what? Some of these people, they just don't have the gumption to go get involved in this market. Because if you sell your home, now you become one of the buyers trying to buy a home. And let me tell you, that can be very stressful. So you got a lot of people that they're exacerbating this problem because they don't want to be a part of the, the chaotic market. Um, and by the way, do you love your house? Love it? Love it? Love it? I don't know that everyone would say yes. You know, if there was thing, would you pick something? You know, if you just money was no object, would you, is there something about your house that you would like or change or improve? Um, people are accepting more and more of those dissatisfiers because of how crazy the market is. So um, there you go. The uh, volume is down. The sales prices are up. The marketing time is ridiculously short, and it's been going on for a long time. So, um, what interrupts that cycle? You know, and I think there are things that could interrupt that cycle. Really, um, stuff being too high priced. Sure, it'll slow it down. It'll slow it down. It probably could as you as you begin to go farther and farther across that intersection of where the average person can afford the average home. Yeah, the, it's out there. Um, I I immediately, and I don't know what's wrong with me, but I immediately think that what's more likely than that is the, the stuff that's not fun to think about. The international stuff. Yeah, yeah, or earthquakes or, you know, a huge earthquake that pops Diablo and gets that thing doing the Fukushima thing. Uh, though, okay, I, that might, you might have good inventory right away after that. Uh, we could have people fleeing because of some crazy natural disaster or um, something like that. But those are all the things that are really not fun to think about. And um, you can't let those make a decision for you, right? Because we hope those things don't happen, but... Um, you have no control over any of that stuff. So that doesn't, I don't think that plays into too much of the, the local market around here. Um, honestly, it's really just, um, it's a hard market and it's a hard market nationally. I know there are some places where it's a little bit less, but all real estate is local. So you want to take these things and come on even down here further and right. Start looking around slow County. Um, same kind of thing. We've got, Less than six months worth of inventory. We've got less than 30 days marketing for most homes. And we've got, um, generally speaking, competitions of people that are lining up to buy homes. And when you want to think about whether or not there's some significant change in this in this market on the horizon, look at the cost to own versus the cost to rent. And right now, when you look at those numbers, it's it's very much in line with today's prices as high as they are. It's still rents have have gone higher, too. And so when you look at buying a home with five, 10, 20 percent down, something like that, you're still in line with rent. So renting isn't the better option necessarily. It's, you know, it, so I, I don't see where the the demand slows down significantly unless prices continue to just move higher at a at a above normal clip. Well, the rising tide lifts all boats, though. So even where you're in a spot like in California where you've got 
you know, like let's look at Slow County. These home prices are going up and up. And yeah, you think you get to a point where the workforce has trouble buying a home. I get that. But you know what? One of the problems is, is this place is paradise. I mean, the weather is amazing. The air is clean. The surroundings are, you know, second to none. It really is unbelievable. So guess what? Then you have these forces of people that want to come from outside. They'll sell two houses in Bakersfield to come put half down on a home here. And yeah, they're both teachers. They only make a hundred grand a year. They're happy to transfer over here. And they bring that wealth. They bring that equity and they don't have. So the challenge, I think, and this is really the dis, the most disheartening part of it for me. Like I said, as a, as a father of teenage boys now, um, getting your start here is what's really hard. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to have to leave. I mean, chances are, I mean, go talk to so many parents around here that have a kid that's 18 years old, whether or not you're going to college, oftentimes they're having to leave unless you are something special and you could throw a down payment on a house and, you know, get them in the door and that kind of thing. Um, it's hard. It, that This is a hard place to make it happen because there's that, additional draw of of people that are willing to pay the, what I call the paradise tax, you know? So it's a it's a problem I don't see being solved very soon. Um so my big fear of what could derail this market is is prices just getting too high for some people to even have interest in buying anymore. But the numbers we're seeing from both the existing home sales as well as like the latest um FHFA reading is that there's we're starting to to see that appreciation get back into a a normal range. At least it's not out of control like it was nationally for a while. There it seemed like it was up double digits, um, you know, year over year. And now the latest reading for July home prices from FHFA uh, shows that home prices year over year are actually down two tenths of a percent. The appreciation rate is down two tenths of a percent the appreciation rate is down the home price is not down the home price is still up but the rate of appreciation is slowing slightly which is good if we can i think for stabilizing this market and not getting where things are just crazy unaffordable um you know we're we're still above normal we're still above that three to five percent range we're at 6.3 percent nationally but we're inching closer to the normal range of appreciation. Yep. So um, that alleviates that fear that I have that, you know, we're going to continue to see 10% appreciation. It's just going to continue to price people out and folks are just not going to have interest in buying anymore. I, I like, don't, I don't see that happening. I like the um, slow County homes stats that, um, you know, they got this interesting little dashboard where you can kind of look around the cities of the central coast and look at what's been going on. San Luis Obispo city proper the median home price for 2017 is up to 703. In 2016, it was 679. Um, the man, there's like no percent of non foreclosure homes. It's a it's a hundred percent days on market. 2016 days on market was 82. 2017 43. And the list to selling price ratio in 2017 here is 98.77%. This is a nice metric too, by the way, for those of you that are 
getting getting into the market you're at that that research phase or maybe you're getting ready to write up your first couple of offers and you see what's listed for 500 so what do you think i could get it for 475 no you can look at these stats here breaking down by the city um and yeah it's going to change a little bit from property to property if one of them is particularly overpriced but on average um, in San Luis Obispo, homes are selling for ninety eight point seven seven percent of list price. So if it's listed for five hundred, you should be prepared to pay four ninety eight. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it's going to take to buy it. And and by the way, that tells me that there's a that the market um, is fast moving enough that people are relatively confident in prices. But b a well priced home is not it's not even very negotiable. You're gonna you're basically gonna have to buy it for what it's being advertised for. But at the same time, if someone puts a home on the market above well above, you know, what it's worth, if they're unreasonable with their ask, then it sits. Right. And that's where I think that in that you know, I shared dairy days on market before that. If you look at a particular price range and begin to understand that average days on market is 43 days and you're staring at a home that's been on the market for 60 days, that's got to tell you with, I mean, just beaming red flags that this is either overpriced or it's got some, you know, some some funk is up. Yeah, like there's something wrong with the house. It's next to a slaughterhouse. <laughs> um, it smells awful. The you know something about it is is <laughs> causing people to to snub it. And um, but that's where using some of these stats to get into it is pretty cool. Um, Morro Bay, since you you love Morro Bay, median home price in Morro Bay is up eight percent this year. Wow. From five ninety seven to six forty five. See, Morro Bay is a little bit lighter volume, though, right? Yeah, so it can be affected by the, you know, one house can really skew the data. Days on market in Morro Bay, and some of the stuff on the coast could sit a little bit longer, especially since it's a higher price per square foot. Definitely, there's are oftentimes their vacation. You guys have a much higher occurrence of vacation home type of things over there, but days on market in twenty sixteen was one hundred and ten. In 2017 is 65 days. So following the San Luis trend, uh, relatively speaking, right, almost half of what it was. Um, the list to sales price in Morro Bay, as you might expect with a little bit longer marketing times, was 97.34, slightly less. But still, I mean, it just goes to show you that even though it is sitting a little bit longer, they're not people fire selling homes for um, and willing to negotiate crazy deals. Oh, my. Look at this. Got a coastal real estate expert, I believe, waiting on the line. Is this Greg Astle from Cayucas? Speaking of Morro Bay. All right. Yeah. Hey. Good to hear from you. I just was, Greg, I just was pulling up the Cayucas stats. The um, oh. 2016, your median price is 806, and 2017, it's 885, up almost 10%. Wow. And, um, yeah, I mean... All across the board, looking like a healthy economy too. But anyway, yeah, tell us about the coast, buddy. Well, I was gonna, uh, I was gonna ask you if Los Osos appears on your uh, the metrics that you're reading from there. Funny you should ask. It does. Good. Uh, the reason I ask is because it's kind of phenomenal what happened in Los Osos apparently when the sewer system got hooked up. Or when you know when the when the treatment facility was finished and it was obvious that it was time to get those laterals hooked up and the sewer you know debacle was finally behind us, 
uh, you know, my records indicate that that uh, losos prices took a pretty serious jump. I'm just wondering what your yeah on these on is. these metrics, lososos is showing from 16 to 17. We went from 510,000 to 550,000 median home price, which is um, an increase of 7.8 percent. The days on market in Los Osos from 16 to 17 went from 98 days to 34 days. So, again, things being absorbed rapidly. And then um, listing price to selling price in 2017 so far, 99.45%. So, and that... Yeah, and that's something you would expect in very fast marketing times. You're going to be paying the list price if you want one. So, yeah, if you like your toes in the sand in the front or the backyard of your house um, and that good fog tan, uh, Los Osos, just offer what the sign says and you're in. Um, If you need to sell one, it'll only take 30 days. You know, it's really interesting. Back in the good old days when I got into this business, you guys were probably still in high school, Los Osos was the go-to spot for entry-level housing. Sure. So what, what, you know, back in the day, I'm taking a house, a nice average home in Morro Bay, for instance, in, say, Morro Heights. was selling for $250,000. You could get a three-bedroom, two-bath home, modest but nice home on the numbered streets in Los Osos for about half that. Yeah. For about a, a buck and a quarter, about 125000 And... According to our MLS statistics, which are slightly different than what you're reading from, but they still kind of show the same trend, um, Los Osos is now almost on par with Morro Bay in terms of, and I tend to look at average sales price versus sure. uh, median. Um, you know, that's just by choice. But, you know, what I found is that uh, Los Osos is no longer the, uh, the tightly capital secret for inexpensive housing. Yeah, you know, and Dan and I have talked about this for years on the show, is that if you want to look at California coastal beach communities, Los Osos, I mean, granted, it's not right on the water like you'd think, but it's a one of the kind of cool little eclectic beach coastal type of cities around California. That's pretty darn affordable, even still at a median home sales price of five fifty. dollars um, That's a... I, I've always thought Los Osos was pretty neat. I mean, and I lived out there yeah. for 10 years. I dug it, but, um, yeah, it is sandy and foggy for sure. Yeah, it's, you know, there's a certain taste for it, but I, uh, you know, there's also the difference between World Bay and Los Osos from the standpoint of, for instance, uh, tourist traffic. If you're not, if you're not really uh, keen on having lots of people from the valley crawling over your town on the weekends, Los Osos is your spot because it's, you know, virtually the same environment, but you don't have all that tourist activity. Yeah. That's why it's more of a bedroom community, more of a family. Yeah, maybe we should start blogging and advertising how awesome Montana de Oro is and see if we could redirect that traffic for those people, huh? (laughs) Yeah. You talk to people in Los Angeles and you mention Morro Bay and they go, oh, yeah, awesome place up there. And then you go, Los Osos, and they go, what's that? Where's that? Yeah. I don't know. It's sounding pretty inviting that hearing the ocean going in the background out there in Cayucas. Maybe we could push everybody to Cayucas, Greg. <laughs> I think it's they already good. go there. It could, the, could be the air conditioning in my car. Blowing <laughs> <laughs> across my microphone. Which is anyway, louder than the motor of that Prius, right? That's right. Yeah, I'm coming down the road right now. Hey, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate the call. Good talk to you. Like Greg said, he's been doing real estate out there on the coast since before we were born. (laughs) All right. Maybe he said since we were in high school, but... um...
<laughs> I, I always really enjoy talking to Greg. And um, if any of you guys want to reach out to him, too, I happen to know he's got a good, a, a memorable phone number. It's 423 sold. So you can, huh. yeah, you can call him up and uh, get his help. But he knows a lot about the whole coastal area. He's a good yeah. dude. Can we, like, kind of compare, like, Pismo Beach and Oceano that way, too? Because Oceano is kind of right there by the beach and. You know, and then as far as the Moro Bay Los Osos comparison, yeah, I mean, I'd say your your comps are more like. Um, oh, I thought you were going to suggest that it was people from the valley not willing to go there. No, no, no. <laughs> I was going to say it's uh, your 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 comps are more like Pismo and Grover. Yeah, and Oceano's um, Oceano, I I see as really being that that place where there's probably the most opportunity. You can probably get the most bang for your buck there in our county and it too has proximity to ocean in its favor and yeah. and things like that so it has you know more room to to move as far as you know coastal affordable coastal living mm-hmm. where as as you know like they say they're not making any more more coastline so um you you yeah. get in in a place like oceano and it continues to to um you know improve and and come up, then you're going to see those prices follow follow higher, like all the other beach communities have. Well, and Pismo really can't grow very much. Other oh, than Pismo's price maxed, panic. man. That... And then Morro Bay could, but yeah, yeah. Really I feel like Pismo is about as dense as it can be. Um, you know, I see all those newer townhome type projects there, and mm-hmm. that talk about tourist traffic. Oh my! Yeah. And now they're even considering putting in like the Santa Monica style Ferris wheel on the pier and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just going to be outrageous. Kind of it already is. So yeah, definitely impacted by the tourism, but then you have Grover, Don't you which support is... doing that boardwalk type of thing out there. I remember when there was a Ferris <laughs> wheel you? out there. Oh, was there? There was actually, huh. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That. Where the, well, they're bringing it back is what it sounds like. Where the new, where that new hotel is going on on Cypress street down there. Mm. There was actually a little amusement park there, and there's a big Ferris wheel in that. But then That's I see amazing. I see Grover being the bedroom community to Pismo, um, mm-hmm. where it's you know there's not a, that tourist traffic. I mean, yeah, maybe accessing the dunes or whatever, mm-hmm. but other than that, not not nearly as much of the tourist traffic. It's more of the families and and that kind of kind of thing going on in Grover and Oceano's the same way. It's just there's the prices are even a little more affordable in Oceano. Um, so yeah, I, I, there's definitely opportunities for that entry level buyer in that south um, south part of the county beach communities, as well as Los Osos. Although, lo, like Greg was saying, Los Osos is definitely no longer a secret, and and the prices are reflecting that. So, slim pickings if you want to live on the coast anymore. Yeah, I think it's slim pickings anywhere. It's slim, yeah, it is. That's what I. That's been my theme today. Yeah, it's true. It's a tight market out there. It's true. A well-priced home has lots of attention. It goes fast. It goes for ask price, and it's not just San Luis Obispo County. It's, it's all over this state. It's it, it's in a lot of parts of our country that that real estate that's well-priced moves quickly because there's a lot of people that that understand the benefits of home ownership. They want to own. They want to stop paying someone else's mortgage through the rent. Um, rents are in line with mortgage. As high as prices are, rents are still in line with, with what it would be to own the home. Plus, you get that tax break and that 
you know, paying down your own principal, building your own equity and and that the, those benefits of home ownership. So people see it, they want it. And and that's why we're in this predicament that we're in today. Yep. That and not building for 10 years. Yeah. And I think also really low interest rates. And low interest rates, definitely. I mean, yeah, you hear these. I I love hearing people who were buying and selling real estate, you know, when I was in grade school, talking about the double digit interest and all that kind of stuff. And then people today who are like, oh, man, you know, it's up to four and a quarter today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Talk to someone who's been around a little longer. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Gripe to them about the four and a quarter that used to be four last week. I think property taxes have a lot of people sitting still too. Yeah. When you go in there and you figure that out, you know, so you, say that you did buy a house in 2009 or 10, you know, people picked up houses. I remember helping people buy houses <laughs> off of Ocean Air for like 280 grand, 300 grand. Those are five, 600,000. And now 600, 600 grand. Um, look the difference just in your property taxes. You're talking 300 bucks a month. So again, was you you're just going to accept a few more of those dissatisfiers because that's a real jump, isn't it? 300 bucks a month, just the property taxes. You got to want that. And because it's forever property taxes yeah. are forever and they're going up forever. So you gotta, you gotta know, like, I mean that stay put and like, that's like, 300 bucks into your IRA every month forever or just property taxes. Yeah. So there's so many reasons why we have this light inventory um, thing we got going on. And again, I just, I don't see, I don't see the fix. I don't understand what it is. The only thing I can think like you keep saying is it's, it's when you hit that or you, you far exceed that equilibrium of what people can afford. And then, and then, and then the market just basically has got to go a little bit stagnant where just you shook out the, the market, the market just got so slim that people go, okay, so I get it. The average house now is 700 grand and I can't do that. I can't afford that. I can't make that work. And so those homes just start sitting on the market and then you're going to, you then begin to see where. The sellers are like, okay, well, I really do want to sell, and seven hundred grand is obviously the the recent peak. So maybe I cut to six ninety and see if I can be the guy to get the sale. Like where that that happens, where you just you're bringing stuff to market where people just can't afford it anymore. But it just hasn't happened yet. We spent a great deal of today's show talking about the the stress on housing, the the lack of supply, the um, the price. The prices that we see today that are that seem so high, but yet there's still so much competition for them. Um, you, like all of our loan officers at Central Coast Lending, I mean, you're pre-qualifying people every day. People are buying homes. We're, we're closing a lot of purchase loans every month. Yeah. What are the successful buyers doing to be successful in today's market? Well, first of all, getting pre-approved really matters, and um, I want to. I really want to stress that. In in fact, you know, we Central Coast Lending been in business now um what nine almost ten almost years. ten years. And so as a company, we've developed quite a local reputation too. So um I'd venture to say that 
um, if you're pre-approved and then you're pre-approved by a company with a good reputation, like you can almost hear the eye rolls of a, a buyer in town using Quicken. Like the realtors, everybody's had a bad Quicken experience or heard of one. And for a realtor, like when you're representing the seller, the last thing you want to do is have a situation where the buyer's struggling with the financing and not communicating that well or taking delays and causing those problems because most of the time the seller has a plan and the selling their home is the first domino to fall. They're going to buy another place, right? And so um, I really do see a lot of real estate agents are really encouraging buyers to get a pre-approval from a company with a good reputation. It, it will have some impact on who's choosing lenders. And I mean to say, and I'm proud of this, but oftentimes... I really think if there's a home for sale for 500000 and there are two offers for 500000 and they're both for 20% down, and one of them is for Quicken and one of them is from Central Coast Lending, they're, they're, my experience is there's some, there's some benefit to working with us. We have a good reputation now of doing uh, what we say we do and, and doing it on time. So getting pre-approved is huge. Um, and then... Additionally, I would say that having really proper expectations is true, too. Um, and this is on my side. Uh, we take great pride in this is that when a borrower comes into my office, you know, we go through the pre-approval. We take it really seriously. It's basically a real full-on loan application property to be determined. So we're getting everything. And this is the difference between a pre-qualification and a pre-approval. We're getting your tax returns. We're getting your bank statements. We're running your credit. We're going through there and we're looking for any of the things that the underwriters typically look for. Those gotchas that pop up in the process, we're looking for those before you get in escrow. Um, and the idea being is that once you're in escrow, we're not we're no longer vetting the character um, and credit deserving um, borrower, we're, we're now only deliberating the property, the purchase contract, the appraisal, the title report, the insurance, the things to do with the actual collateral. And, and that's a really nice thing. And it helps us to move swiftly. Um, for example, this week, you know, because of what we do this week, we're, uh, we have uh, several loans that are clear to close that have closing dates that are in the middle of October. So that's really a nice thing. It puts everybody at ease. Um, that really helps a lot when you're trying to stand out in competition is to be pre-approved and to be pre-approved by a company with a good reputation. Um, and then additionally, uh, I think knowing the market, you know, most buyers, you need to know the market. And that's like I was sharing earlier about percentage of list price and days on market. Um, I think most of the successful buyers today are becoming kind of... Short window, but they become real real estate almost experts for a minute. Yeah, they learn, they do their homework on the loan and the process, and they understand what's going on and what the moving parts are and why. And then they become little experts in their market. There's they really not, understand value. Yeah, and it's not hard because there's not a lot of listings. So you begin to realize, okay, well, I, now I know what days on market mean, and I understand the different characteristics. And they, they almost say, well, I saw that new listing today, but it was overpriced. And you're like, good for you. You're figuring this out the, the way that you need to. And being able to recognize that counterfeit is more valuable when they see the property come on. We're like, nope, that's a good deal. 
Um, and really, this is what happened with that family member I was telling you about. We found a condo where the HOA fee, the price was lower, the condo was nicer, the HOA fee was half of what the comps were. And you know why we knew that? We've been studying the market for months and waiting for that gym to come on. Um, and when it came on, I mean, this was place went from listed to in a pending status in less than a week. And that's because it was well priced. And, um, but also we were really had our game ready on our side. So to me, those are the people that are, are having the best luck. And, and at the end of it, I got to say, it takes a little bit of luck mm-hmm. because, you know, if two or three other people are all as prepared and have done their homework and they're ready, now you got to compete with those guys. And, you know, how do you stand out there? Um, those are that's what it takes. So if anybody wants to get pre-approved, want to look into a refi, want to get rid of that mortgage insurance or just – just talk about making sure that you're doing all the right things. You can call us this week at 543-LOAN or check us out at the web. We're centralcoastlending.com. Uh, we're happy to be here local serving this community. Guys, thanks so much for being with us today. Have a great week, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters.